Good morning. How's everybody doing? Sorry, I looked a little shocked there because I was in prayer and then I thought I had not turned on my mic, but obviously I'm just getting old because I just forgot that I had turned on my mic when I came up here. So anyways, we are in the Gospel of John. I talked last week about the Gospel of John being different than the other Gospels. Can anyone tell me one of the differences? What? When it was written. Hey, awesome. You guys passed the test. You didn't realize you're coming to school today, but that is one of the big differences is that John was written about 60 years after Jesus was on the earth, and the other Gospels were written maybe 10 or 15. And so his perspective is a lifelong journey that not only did he walk with Jesus and was one of Jesus' disciples, but then he learned what life was like after Jesus died. He learned what life was like after he was risen again. And not only just a few years, but many years. He wasn't martyred like the rest of the, of the disciples. He was exiled. And so he had a lot of time to think. And what we found in his gospel is that there are layers upon layers of complexity. It's a theological reflection of what life with Jesus looks like for the church. So today what we're going to look at is chapter 2. Have you guys been reading your Bible daily? Awesome. And those of you that have not, there's an invitation. Every day the Lord says, it's there, it's accessible, it's for you. So many times we make choices because we think, in fact, I was reading an article this morning about saving for retirement. Everybody's saving a lot for retirement, right? Like you're just packing it away. It's like the easiest thing to do, right? Well, actually, we see that very few people are. And what they were talking about is if you get a 3% raise, then you should take 2% of that or 1% of that and immediately start saving it. And the accumulation effects of that over time would be amazing to you. So they're talking about someone making 60000 a year that if they got a 3% raise, it would be about $24 a week. Most of us may say, well, that's pizza money. They said if you'd stop using that for pizza money and start saving that, it would accumulate to like 246000 Art is like right with me, right? Mr. Banker right here. He's like, absolutely, just do it. So it would accumulate. Well, guess what? Reading your Bible is very similar. When you talk to someone and they go, oh, this is from, this is from the word of the Lord, and they just quote a, a scripture reference, it's not because they went and said, I'm going to just memorize the Bible. Some may have. But the ones who have the most effect are usually men or women who have read the Bible their entire life. Because it's not just about reading it, it's about inwardly digesting it. And that's what we want to give you an invitation, is that nothing is ever wasted. Even if you waste your time one week, the Lord says you have a brand new week this week to engage in my word, to listen to me speak to you, to have me direct your life. This is what John did for his lifetime. And at, towards the end of his life, he was given a chance to record 
the life of Jesus. And so in chapter 2, he records an event that all the other Gospels don't record. It's only found in John. So we start in chapter 2, verse 1. The next day there's a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told them they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told, us, told the servants, do whatever he tells you. What I love about this first part of the chapter is that Mary has this response of faith. We'll find out that later that the family and Mary don't believe that Jesus is really the Messiah, and they kind of walk away from him. But in this particular part, either she's reflecting on the angel's words when she was told that she would conceive and give birth to the Messiah, or she is reflecting and thinking about the things that she saw Jesus do maybe as he's growing up. We don't have a lot on the story of Jesus as he's growing up. Perhaps he didn't do any miracles, or perhaps he did some private miracles amongst those he knew. This particular response that she's asking him to do is not one of privacy. It's one of public. So he hasn't really stepped out in public ministry yet. And it's just a common problem. They went to a party and they ran out of booze. Right? If you hold a party and it's a wedding party and you tell all the guests there's going to be wine and you run out, it's kind of embarrassing. So what do you do? I mean, they didn't have specs. They couldn't just run over to the specs mark. If they didn't have the wine, they just didn't have the wine. These communities were small communities. They're probably around 100 to 200 people. So when we're talking about Nazareth and we're talking about Cana, these aren't large metropolises. This isn't Rome. This, this is just a small little farming community. I can relate to that because that's where I kind of grew up. Some of you may have driven through some of those where you don't even have to blink and you miss it. It's like, oops, I think we just went through a town. I think the speed limit was supposed to go down, but we didn't. And if you get into Texas, you see those towns. You just have to go east and west of Houston. And not too far, and you'll run through some of these small little communities. So what this means is that they were invited to a party, probably someone that they knew well. Jesus being a builder like his father, Joseph. Joseph was a builder. You could imagine that perhaps their relationship was that Joseph was asked to build this estate where they were later invited to this wedding. So we know that this is a wealthy individual. We know that not only did he invite Mary, but he also invited Jesus. And not only that, but he appreciated his relationship with Jesus enough to invite those who followed him. I just think that that's a good reflection for us as people. And when we think about the common, ordinary things, John puts in this story about a common event and Jesus cares enough to attend. 
And his mother sees a problem and she looks to the one that she has at least this much faith and believes he can do something. Verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed these instructions. Simple jars. These jars would be what you may have seen in the upper room. Probably not as many of them. But as you entered the room that you would wash, to wash the dust and the dirt off yourself and to do a ceremonial washing of your hands to recognize or be recognized that you are clean, that you're entering the place cleansed of your sin. These were huge jars. They were heavy jars, 20 to 30 gallons. I remember as a kid, my dad, we planted this uh, windbreak is what we call it in Nebraska because Nebraska was a land with no trees until people planted trees and still doesn't have a lot of trees, but we planted a whole bunch of trees and it just happened to not rain that summer. And so our job as kids was to carry five-gallon buckets out to these trees that was at least, and of course it's going to be longer now because it seems, but at least a quarter of a mile that we had to carry these buckets. And I would look at my dad and say, I am too small. And he'd say, well, get bigger. <laughs> and so I would carry these buckets and they slosh all around. And five gallons is heavy. It's hot when you talk about water. So what Jesus was telling these servants to do, and I think this is really pretty crazy when you think about it, that the servants just simply went and did it. They didn't look at him like, what the heck are you talking about? Because obviously they didn't just turn on the tap and fill these things. They had to go to the well and gallon by gallon fill these. So this wasn't something that happened like this. They didn't turn on the fire hose and filled up these things, and then Jesus goes, here's your wine. There was work to be done to get this accomplished. It was in the simple that Jesus did something incredible. The ceremonial jars not only were for washing, but Jesus also uses this as a metaphor of the law that they used to live under. And they still did at this time. But he was beginning his public ministry and he was making a statement. For all the Jews who are assembled, the law that you lived under is about to change. The law that you have lived your life by is about to change. The judgment that you've been under is about to change. There's about to be freedom brought into your life. There's something to celebrate very soon. That's why John's gospel is so rich in the layers that he presents. Because you can read this story and can think it's just about a wedding. 
But as John is remembering the events, he's also making a statement about who Jesus is and what he's telling the people as he does simple things and turns them into miracles. Now, this Jesus might be hard for some of us to recognize because some of us may be a little too prudish, a little too sensitive with a party to recognize that Jesus enjoyed parties. I mean, he didn't make one gallon of wine. He didn't say, everybody take a little sip. I'm going to make just enough to make this not fun. He was there to make a party. Now, I understand if you've had stuff in your life or in the lives of others where you've become sensitive to the destruction that alcohol can cause. But Jesus came to enjoy the party. He came to jump into the lives of those who he knew and to honor them with his presence and to love them by having fun. Now, I think in our modern church, sometimes we try to cross this Jesus out because we try to make him into this person that never drank anything, didn't say a joke, was really kind of not all that fun to be around. But when I think about Jesus, especially portrayed in John's gospel, he was fun to be around. I wonder what would happen to us if we said, I think Jesus, Jesus actually wants us to have fun together. I think he wants us to have fun together without bringing harm to one another. Right now we've got some possible celebrations coming up. Michelle, you're going to be excited about this one. U of H is ranked number six. Right? Anybody excited about that? Nebraska is ranked two. Okay, U of H is ranked number six. And I have been containing this, so I can't help it that Nebraska is 4-0. And this hasn't happened for a long time. But I'm going to contain it. I'm not going to talk about that. But there will be celebration in the Lytle home. For sure. Now, U of H. Man, this is something that people here in Houston, since I moved here, and we moved here 13 years ago, they've been waiting for this. Now, you're going to tell me that there's not going to be a huge celebration if they go to the national championship? There's going to be a huge celebration. We've got another celebration coming up called the Super Bowl, hosted here. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of parties. We moved here when they hosted the first one. But we really didn't know what was going on because we just moved here. But I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of parties. The Texans, they kind of had a little down week, but it's going to be better. Now, this is all about football. Because right now it's fall. A&M, yes. And... There's a lot of celebrating on the weekends about football. 
In fact, this morning I thought, you know what, I bet our attendance will be a little bit higher because the Texans lost. <laughs> and they don't play today. And then the rain came, and I was like, well, probably not, Lord, but that's all right. You're going to have other celebrations. You've got baptisms coming up. We've got babies being born. These are things that people celebrate. They have a party. In the fall, we've got this cold front coming through. People are already planning a backyard barbecue. Yeah, you're like cold front. But it is. We're going to hit the 60s. And this is a good, this is good. You can walk outside and you feel that cool breeze, and you go, I love living in Houston. I do. Call me crazy. I walk out, I look forward that as September ends, I go, this is why we live in Houston. Because October has a few hot spots, but it's, it's a good month. November is an awesome month. December sometimes gets cold for me, so is January, but then February, March, they're good months. This year we had April was like incredible. You love walking outside. And we have parties. You want to invite people over and have a good time. And I believe that Jesus wants us to do that. I wonder how many of you are invited to a party. Have you invested in people kind of like Jesus and his dad, and this is all me just kind of, this is Lytle commentary, so take it for what you want. But I believe that Jesus and his dad invested in the people who hosted the party at Cana long before they were invited. And they were invited because they invested in them. Because there's a relationship there. Are you investing in relationships where you'll be invited into the party? When something significant happens in their life, are you going to be invited? It isn't about popularity. It's a question of those the Lord has put in your life. Are you investing in them enough that they would say, I want to invite them to the party? Because the only way you can have influence is if you're invited to the party. The only way you can represent the Father is if you're invited to the party. So the question is, if you are invited to the party, do you bring life to the party? Now, I'm sure you've had a lot of images just come into your mind. So what kind of life am I talking about? So Jesus' divine life is this. The Word, this is from chapter 1, the Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. Bringing life means bringing Jesus. Now again, you've got to think about Jesus who says we should have a party. If you think about Jesus who's prudish,
to hosting the party. He's downhearted. Because his mother came to him and said, she didn't say the party sucked, but she said, it's going to. So can you do something? And he looked at this simple request and he didn't say, this is beneath me. Because he believes that people should celebrate. When you go to the party and bring life to it, you bring Jesus. He's the one who dances with those who are dancing. He doesn't look at them and go, they shouldn't be dancing. He doesn't sit in the chair like a seventh grader at a school dance. At an empty floor. He gets up and dances. He's the one who brings God's truth at all times. Whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, he just brings it. That's bringing Jesus to the party. So there are two temptations that I think we fall in when we're invited to the party. One is either you are tempted to fall more on the self-righteous side. So are you tempted to fall more on the self-righteous side when you go to a party? I wasn't imagining to see too many hands on this one. <laughs> I know for me, when I was a kid, this was definitely me. I was looking at what everybody else was doing wrong and saying I wasn't going to do it. So that's a, that's a good and bad thing, right? The good thing was I wasn't going to do it, but why was I so concerned about everybody else? Why didn't I just stay confident in who I was and say, I'm not going to that length, but I'm here to love you. So this is more like being the Pharisees, right? That you hold so deeply to the laws that the laws become more precious than the people they're supposed to guide. Have you ever done that? That the rule trumps the person? That you look at someone and you go, you broke that rule, so you are no longer worthy. Well, we do that all the time. It's how we react, how we react to people when we want to separate ourselves and place ourselves higher. You broke this one, so you're no longer worthy. That you concentrate on observing more on what's going wrong than celebrating what's going well. Are you tempted to fall more on the self-righteous side when you're invited to the party? Or are you tempted to become like those who are drunk and out of control? Now you're scared to raise your hand, but you probably should just... So guess what? I fell on this side too. Only I fell on this side when I was in college and it was legal for me to drink. Just not legal to drink that much. It wasn't a good thing. But now I was free. And there are things called Thirsty Thursdays. And this stuff that you hang out with your friends and and the pint of beer was like two bucks. 
And even in college, I had more than two bucks. And I decided that I didn't want to be like the Pharisees anymore. I wanted to be like the people. And I got out of control. And when that happens, we can't even bring Jesus into the party because we're bringing more disorder than we are Jesus. And the disorder isn't about bringing life. It's more about us, right? It's our way to get attention. It's our way to get a good laugh. But it's not a great way to represent. So are you disciplined to bring life, not judgment or disorder? When you're invited to the party, are you disciplined enough to bring life, not judgment or disorder? Most of the times you probably think you could be. But this is where your prayer starts. When you get the invitation to the party, you say, Lord, help me to bring life to this party. Remove my judgment and also remove my disorder. God's strategy is for those who don't believe to see that God brings his best through those he calls his children. That God brings his best through you. When you're invited to the party, God is calling you to bring your best. We see this in verses 9 and 10. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then everyone has, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Jesus gives his best. He takes what is empty and then he fills it with the best. He doesn't water down the wine. It wasn't like it was Boone's Farm wine. He doesn't take, <laughs> hey, that was wine I could afford. So don't knock it. He makes the wine that I, I would never buy. It's the $200 a bottle kind of wine that they were drinking. Because he brings the best. Jesus gives the best. If you get anything out of this parable, this is what you need to get. That when you invite Jesus, he gives the best. I bet some of you came in this morning perhaps empty in some area of your life. Maybe you're worried or you're tired, you're embarrassed, something's not flowing right. Maybe you've run out.
maybe you've run out on ideas on how to make your marriage right. You've tried everything. And nothing seems to work. So take a pause and ask Jesus to bring the best. To take what is empty and change it into something that is precious. To take a marriage that seems like it has no hope and bring something that is the best. Maybe you have applied at a hundred places looking for a job and you're just done. You've had no phone calls, no second interviews, and you're starting to think maybe it's me. Well, I want you to ask Jesus to bring his best. Say, Lord, I don't know what else to do, and I need your best because I'm running on empty. I need you to take my empty spirit and breathe new life into it because I want something to celebrate. So breathe into me. Give me your best. Maybe you have stumbled over that familiar sin one more time. And you're trying to seek something. You want the choice wine, but you just grab garbage. Even in the moment when you're grabbing the garbage, you think it might be choice wine, but it's really, it's Boone's Farm. I'm sorry, I hope Boone's Farm, I don't even know if they exist anymore, but I hope they don't listen to this. I could get sued. Um, It's that other wine. And you keep grabbing it, grabbing it. When Jesus is sitting here saying, I've got the best for you. Ask Jesus, even in the midst of being ashamed and being embarrassed, that this sin that you want to get rid of just continues to keep coming up. Say, Jesus, I want your best. I don't want to get, I don't want the rest of this. I want your best. Take my shame and my embarrassment away and fill me in with your best. Because Jesus, he brings the best. Now, wherever you may be empty, I don't know where you guys are empty. Those are just three common examples, right? It could be empty on your parenting. I know for Sarah and I this weekend, we thought we were, like we didn't even know what, why would the Lord even let us be parents. <laughs> and I asked the Lord, you know what, Lord, I need to have your best. I need to look at this differently because right now I can't see anything. Maybe it's in your finances Maybe it's in the school you're attending. Where do you need 
Jesus to bring his best to you. I want you to take a moment right now and just think about that. Where in your spirit, in your life, because guess what? Jesus cares about your life. Where is it empty? And you need Jesus to bring his best. Is everyone thinking? I know we've got a little bit of movement here. If you've got it in your mind, in a few moments we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's one area where I can say Jesus brings his best to you. He brings his body and his blood. Which means you get everything. It's in that moment that he reassures you that you are really his. That your sins are really forgiven. That you really have a future with him. That this life that the moment you were baptized, you already died. So you've started your eternal life with him already. That's why you don't have to fear death. He's already given you your best. And it starts already. It starts today. So in that area, whether it's your school or your friendships or your marriage or your finances, where is it that you need Jesus to bring the best, his best, to you? I want you to be thinking about this as you receive the Lord's Supper today. And as you receive it and you hear those words, take and eat, this is his body given for you. Take and drink, this is his blood shed for you. As you receive that, I want you to be thinking, I am receiving his best in that area of my life that I believe is empty. He is filling it right now with his best. He is taking what's not him or of him, and he is placing himself in place of it. So where do you need Jesus to bring his best to you? Where do you need to be invited to the party that God has prepared for you. And be ready to celebrate. Everybody got that? Everybody have an area? You got it. This is full participation here. So just tell me if you got your area. Even though you may not want to raise your hand. I see it, Tim. I got it. Have that area right now, because at this church, we believe that God does transformation, right? We believe that he does miracles even today, right? So what I want you to do is be thinking that this area that you think is absolutely dead, this area of your life that you think is absolutely empty, that if God cares enough, if Jesus cared enough to make sure a party had wine, surely he cares enough to give you his best in that area where you're suffering. Do you believe it, church? Do you believe it, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and I pray for those 
who have areas of their heart that are suffering, who have emptiness in their lives, whether it's with their best friend or their brother, their husband, their children, their boss or their coworker. For those whose identities are confused and they're unsure who they're even supposed to be. Or a career that's ended. Or for the person who is looking right now and saying they don't know how they're going to pay their bills this next month. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us where we've got an emptiness, where we want to receive your best. We give you thanks, Lord, that you, you died on the cross and you rose again, assuring us that our identity as your children is firm. And in the moment that we receive you, we receive life to its fullest. So I pray for contentment today in the hearts that are discontent. I pray for wisdom today for those who are unsure what the next step is. I pray for compassion today for those who work with difficult people. I pray for mercy today for those who have relationships that have hurt them. And Lord, I pray for reconciliation for those relationships that have been lost, whether it's due to us or due to someone else, that you can repair what is broken as you give us your best. Give us your best today, Lord, as we celebrate you, as we learn how to become the life of the party. Amen.